Hey everyone, this is Bev Marshall here, and I've had the honor and privilege of being married to Drew Marshall for almost 20 years. 12 of the best years of my life. Have you ever noticed just how sensitive of a man he is? I was crying with him when he was crying because... Hey, we, hold on, hold on. We were crying. We're men here. <laughs> he may not know how to fix stuff around the house, but at least he knows women's fashion. Is it the way women are dressing? I mean, I know I'm going to be labeled sexist by even suggesting this. We can wear whatever we want. Well, i got to tell you, there's a lot of skimpy-looking stuff out there. I know he thinks he's Dr. Phil and genuinely seems like he understands us women. Women seem to be driven more by emotions than men do, and men tend to be a little bit more analytical. And I'm not a sexist jerk, so don't write me emails saying I, I hate women or something like that. But don't worry, ladies. I've trained him well. Driving, turning your radio down, and talking on the phone. You must be a woman, because a guy couldn't do all that. So if you're looking for sound professional guidance, well, there's always the guests he interviews. Tune in Saturdays between 1 and 5 for The Drew Marshall Show, right here on Joy 1250. Live from New York, it's Saturday night! You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened to spiritual talkback program. Well, our next guest has appeared on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson over 20 times. And that was just the beginning, folks. Victoria eventually joined the cast of NBC's Saturday Night Live and worked with the likes of Dennis Miller, Steve Martin, Demi Moore, John Lovitz, Dana Carvey, Phil Hartman, and Joe Piscopo, just to name a few. This comedian, actress, and musician also has a spiritual side to her that is absolutely genuine and sincere. And folks, will you join me in welcoming to the Drew Marshall Show, the one and only Victoria Jackson. Victoria, thank you so much. You're welcome. Hello, everybody. <laughs> you know, there is just something about the sound of your voice that puts smiles on people's faces. Hmm. Tell that to my husband when I'm screaming at him. <laughs> listen, uh, the first thing I've, I've got to read here, Victoria, is a, is a quote that I found. So have a listen to this, and then I'd, I'd maybe like your opinion on it. I've had a lot of struggles, and I would be in a lot of trouble, I think, if I wasn't a Christian. I have a very addictive personality, and I'm very childlike, always wanting attention. It's probably kept me from things. I'm sure that if I weren't a Christian, I would probably end up like Chris Farley. Mm. Now, I bet his family didn't like that quote. I think I might have found that in the Wittenberg Door article. Well, I was just, you know, I heard that he went to church and all, and, and I don't know how close he was to the Lord or whatever, but I was just meant that I have all the addictions of everyone else, and uh, I think I would have, and I struggle with a lot of them, but I think I, if I didn't have Jesus helping me, uh, or, or, you know, the Holy Spirit, I, I would be, I would be either dead or a stripper or, you know, I, I mean... I totally understand. Well, and I think what you were attributing all of this uh, to is the fact that you were raised in a Bible-believing, piano-playing, gymnastic home with no TV. Yeah, I mean, what I was trying to say was that I love wine, and I under—I would like to drink it all day long. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I, just because you're a Christian, it doesn't mean that you don't ever think of doing anything about or don't do anything. It's just that, and, and I'm not better than Chris. I think it didn't come out right. I think, and I probably don't have more willpower than him. I just think that um, Jesus and reading the Bible 
um, has kept me from going off the deep end because I'm a human like everyone else. I'm in a, you know, and that's what I was trying to say. I, I don't know if it came out right. Oh, no, I think it came out right. It came out fine. Uh, Victoria, would you say that your, your father has maybe been your greatest spiritual influence? My father is a huge influence on me because, first of all, he's kind of a larger-than-life character. And he raised us, he was um, he was in vaudeville before he married my mom, and he wasn't a Christian, but he was a very moral person, like he didn't drink or smoke, or when he was in the army, he didn't, he said all the soldiers were smoking and drinking, and he wouldn't uh, do it, he wasn't a Christian. And then um, he met my mom, and she got saved in a revival tent in Minnesota, when she was 12, she was raised Lutheran, but she didn't understand the gospel or anything about Jesus. Right. And then she, uh, her whole family got born again, and they all changed, and she saw them change, and uh, she led my father to the Lord after they got married. I mean, when did you really kind of buy into the whole Jesus thing? Well, uh, here's my dad. He's a gymnastics coach. He's juggling. He's putting on circuses. He has little acrobats in the backyard in matching leotards, flipping over his head. That was my childhood. <laughs> and he, and then on a Wednesday, he'd go to church with us on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then he'd go to the deacon's meeting. So it was a kind of a funny guy because, you know, um, the, uh, Wednesday. So, Anyway, I was his assistant in the gym. He taught only women's gymnastics, so I was with him all day in the gym after school. So I kind of have a lot of masculine qualities because I was with my dad all the time, putting up the mats and the beam and the bars, taking them down, spotting girls on flips and everything. My mom was at home, and I never really learned how to cook and sew or anything like what she was doing at home. But where I bought into it was, well, I remember we were in church all the time, and I, I loved church, and um, I didn't even mind the repetition of the, um, what do you call it when they ask the, you to the, come forward to get saved? Oh, oh the, the altar, altar call. call. Yeah. Altar call, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was about Southern Baptist Church, and the altar call was always the same. It was always really long, <laughs> and they sang Just As I Am about 70 times. And, uh, it's actually it's I'm, actually written in the copyright. You're not allowed to sing it fewer than ten times. It's just not spiritual. <laughs> no, it's not. Because there might be someone in the back row who might come forward in the seventieth stanza. <laughs> uh, so, so I think when I was six, I just remember that uh, it might have been because I learned to read that year. I mean, I could read really good, but I think I learned to read when I was about six. Wow. And I think maybe that's why the John 3.16, the words, like, became real. They weren't just words. And I think when the preacher was preaching, it, all of a sudden it wasn't the guy preaching to the big crowd. It was God speaking to me individually. And I think I, as a child, I just totally understood, oh, God's talking to me. I have to decide whether to follow him or not. And I told my... Uh, dad that day at home i said daddy i want to ask jesus into my heart will you pray with me and we knelt by my bed and i asked jesus to come into my heart and i knew like there was all different kinds of ways the preacher said it like they said um accept him as your savior believe in him receive him ask him into your heart and like 
I remember, I remember thinking, what if I do the wrong one? Or, what if, you know, do they all mean the same thing? And I remember thinking, yeah, they all mean the same thing. I, I, I think God gets it. Doesn't matter exactly if you say the right words or not. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. You might hear another voice chuckling in the background, and my co-host uh, Tim Miller and I are sitting here and. Tim and I have been uh, fans of Saturday Night Live for a lot of years, oh, uh, yeah. especially back in, in your day. Don't mean to make you sound, you know, geriatric there or anything. But, uh, uh, Victoria, have you ever found out the results from that IQ test you took at the University of Miami when, when you were a kid? No, they wouldn't give us the score because they said it would affect our lives forever. Oh. So uh, you're smarter than the average bear is what I'm hearing. Either smarter or dumber. They didn't tell us. <laughs> You got it. I remember seeing you on. I think it was John Biner's show. I can't remember the name of it. Bizarre, I think was the show. Right, Bizarre. And all I remember is you doing poetry or singing a song on a ballad beam. And I'm going, how does one do that? Well, it's funny. I hadn't thought of it earlier because that was my whole childhood. My mom was singing all the time, even if it was off key. And my dad, you know. <laughs> and then I was on the beam all the time. I even had a balance beam in my backyard. Oh, wow. And we were really poor. So we were like in this ghetto with a gym in our backyard. <laughs> you know, back in the early days, Victoria, if if I get this right, you supported yourself by working in a retirement home as well as, and these two kind of blow me away, a cigarette girl and as a typist at the American Cancer Society. That's quite a strange <laughs> juxtaposition there. It's very ironic. Is that the right word? You sure. That'll work today. Yeah. Yeah. I would... Like, all day at work, I would tell people how to quit smoking. I'd say, uh, you suck on cloves, you eat sunflower seeds, chew gum, come to our ACS Stop Smoking meetings. And then at night, I was going, cigarettes, cashews, because <laughs> my boss told me. And I was in a French-made costume, because it was a 30s club, and I was supposed to look like uh, Got that. Got it. You know. How many times were you on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson? 20 with him, and then two with Leno, and Two with Letterman and two with Conan. I guess they don't like me as much as he did. Or maybe it's just because I'm not young anymore, you know? Oh, stop. Come on now. You know, I watched one of your performances on The Tonight Show uh, from back in the days with Johnny. There's on YouTube. And, and when you were singing a song while performing gymnastic moves on the balance beam, it kind of seemed... It kind of seemed like the audience was a bit stunned. Almost like almost like they'd never quite seen this sort of thing before. That's good. <laughs> I'll take stunned. <laughs> I'll take laughter, applause, and if that doesn't work, stunned is okay. Stunned works well as well, yeah. Uh, Victoria, last week I was chatting with with Diane Cannon, who told me that she and Johnny Carson almost got married. Uh-uh. Yeah, they were great friends, great friends. Really? But I've heard from others that he was maybe a little aloof as a result of maybe being shy or very intensely private. Did you find that at all? He was very... um... Yeah, he, I won't say aloof, but I think he saved all the energy for on the air. And so if I passed him in the hallway, you know, leaving the makeup room before the show, he would just smile and he would look kind of shy, but he, he just saved the energy for coming out on the air. Cause I've been on talk shows where the guy asks me everything before we go on the air. When, when I come out, there's nothing left to say or else you, feel like you're repeating yourself yeah that's that's exactly how i operate i save it all for the show i i don't like to do the pre-interview thing because i want to naturally ask the questions that naturally come into my brain and if i naturally know the answers then i'm naturally not going to ask the questions naturally right yeah did that make any sense at all i, I think it did sure. saturday <laughs> night live from 1986 to 1992 uh, you were 27 years old but you were married and had a baby back in the, those days 
Yes, I was the youngest cast member, but the only one who had a child. And um, and so I didn't really hang out with anyone after work. I would rush home to be with my baby and see if she learned a new trick or something. <laughs> so is, I don't know. Is it true that, that your first husband was a fire eater? I read that somewhere, and I just had to ask you whether that's true or not. Yeah, he was a fire eater. He made about $100 a year. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, I see. Uh, I knew the Bible. I knew a lot of Bible verses because I went to a Christian school and a Bible college. Right. And when I was, I didn't want to date him, but I didn't know anyone in LA when I moved here except one person, Johnny Crawford. And um, every night I'd, at the you know 30s club, I would see the fire eater, and I'd be doing my handstand act. And after about a year, he wore me down. I went over to his little hippie house, and I said, "I'm not going to date you because you're promiscuous, and I'm a Baptist virgin." And, um, <laughs> So after that, so I was in his house, and uh, there was, you know, music and animals everywhere, and it was it was a very different world than I'd grown up in. And anyway, uh, I remember hearing God's whisper in my ear very loudly: "Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath light with darkness?" Right? And I remember them exactly where I was standing, and I looked up and I said, "I know God." In my head, I said, "I know God," but I'm taking him to church, and I, and I was taking him to church, but somehow, did you did you know it, he was giving me pot, and I was taking him to church. Right. <laughs> so you kind of it's I don't know it's easier to go down yeah. the slide oh, than yeah. to go up the slide or something. Oh yeah, that's anyway, ground. What happened was, I was thinking, well, my mom married my dad, and he wasn't a believer, and he's a really good Christian, and he studies the Bible. All, he's 80 now, and he's still studying the Bible. He, like, tells me new stuff he's learned. He told me about the creation science research thing, and, um, I mean, he, he, oh, he's like a really philosophical, deep thinker kind of a Christian, you know? He, he doesn't just, uh, some Christians are kind of like, they... They kind of like Christianity because they're all emotional and satiry and everything. My dad's not emotional. He's just, like, logical. He says, this makes the most sense of anything. You know? Yeah, that sounds right. So with your first husband, was it Scarlett or Aubrey that you had? I had Scarlett. That was my favorite name. And she's actually visiting me right now. We live in L.A. again, and she's married, and her husband's a pastor. Wow. And they live in Miami still, where I raised her. And, um... She's visiting me for the first time since she's been married. That's great. Well, and 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 with your second husband, uh, the helicopter pilot, you had you had Aubrey. Yeah, and I wanted more kids, but he kept saying no, and so I got dogs. <laughs> so you got dogs. <laughs> what kind of dogs did you get? Uh, a, a Yorkie and a Maltese, and they had um, a child that's a Morky. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Victoria, did your divorce have any impact on your decision to, to leave SNL? Because it was kind of around the same time period, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it was uh, all to, yes. I didn't, my daughter, it was a, the worst thing. See, because I disobeyed God, he, I had to pay the consequences. I mean, um, the worst thing is for a child to go through a divorce. And, oh, man, I lost all my money in the divorce from Saturday Night Live. I had to pay alimony to my ex-husband. So uh, I really didn't have a penny left to show for anything. 
so besides money, I mean, my daughter had to go through a divorce. She was five, and I didn't want her to be ripped apart from her mom and dad and go through a divorce, so I kind of quit the show that year so I could stay home with her, you know? Because otherwise, um, the husband was kicked out of the house, and my mom was babysitting her while I was at Saturday Night Live, and I, I didn't want her to... So I just kind of ended the show... Plus, I'd been there six years, and our contract was only for five, and all my comrades were moving on, and all new people were coming in, and it seemed like the right thing to do. We are chatting with Victoria Jackson. Victoria, is it true that you dated Weird Al Yankovic? Um, I kind of dated him. I was in his movie. It was kind of around the time of my divorce, and I love him. And But uh, we didn't really go on a date date, but we're, I mean, I wish I could have. But then my high school sweetheart popped up out of the past, and so I, I think um, me and Paul, my husband, like, we were engaged when we were 18, hmm. and uh, before I could even really date Al, I was sort of started dating Paul and married him. We've been married 15 years. Congratulations. Fantastic. Now, I've also heard that as a as a Saturday Night Live cast member, the more sketches you write, the more you got to perform. Oh, yeah. We have to write our own material, and uh, I'm not really a great... I never took... I never went to the Groundlings. I never took... I didn't have anything to prepare me for SNL. I'm so lucky you know, to be on it. I didn't know how to do characters or impressions. I kind of had to try to learn while I was there, and... Um, yeah, Mike Myers, like, he wrote about eight sketches a week, and he'd get six on the air. I wrote about two a year. <laughs> right. It wasn't that I wasn't trying. I was trying. I'd sit at my typewriter with a blank piece of paper and stare at it for hours, you know? <laughs> well, do you remember when you when you did your first comedic impression, how nervous you were that you might slip out of doing the Roseanne character and then become Vicky? You've been doing your research. <laughs> I don't really have a life. I just... Drew's famous for this, <laughs> yeah. yes. <laughs> I said it somewhere. Yeah, my first impression was Roseanne because I kept saying, why can't I do any impressions? And then the head writer said, because you're nasal. I go, well, somebody famous must be nasal. <laughs> and he, he goes, well, Roseanne Barr's kind of nasal. I go, doesn't she kind of talk like that, you know, and everything. And he's like, yeah. So I, you know, he wrote me a thing, and I studied her all week in my headphones. And then when I was in a fat suit, and then I was, getting ready to go on live TV. Dana was next to me, and Dana Carvey, the master of impressions, and I said, Dana, um, I'm so nervous. What if I slip out of her and I become picky all of a sudden? He's like, just cop an attitude, Vic, just cop an attitude. <laughs> and, he, and he handed me a paper cup with water in it, and I'm like, water and an attitude? That's all it takes, you know? Like, I'm like, what attitude? What is he talking about? I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> then I just went out there and tried my best. So it's, it, has it ever happened? I mean, you played so many characters in Saturday Night Live. Did that ever happen where you just totally slipped into another character? No. I One time on the update, I did my low voice because I guess I was kind of tired of people saying, you know, is that your real voice all the, you know, all the time? I was like, what? You think I wake up and I fake it all day long? <laughs> And so I, I, I had, when I was in high school, my speech teacher wouldn't let me be in the play because should I talk like a baby to get attention? And I was really hurt. And I said, well, how do I fix it? And she goes, well, and she looked kind of confused, like she'd never had this problem before with anyone. 
She's like, uh, talk like you're going down the stairs into a basement. And I go, okay, you mean like if I was walking down into the basement <laughs> like that, and should I talk like this? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, why do I be excited? Like, what if it's my birthday? Oh, it's my birthday. How do you get excited when you're talking like this? <laughs> like, I, I don't understand. I, I don't understand. So that's when I discovered I could talk low. And so, um, but it hurts my throat. But then I thought, hey, this would be interesting. Because I was trying to write something for myself, right? So I, I thought, hey, I'll go on the update and I'll pull off a wig and I'll talk in a low voice. And, man, people really liked it. My dad called me that night and he goes, Vicky, the scariest thing was I, I didn't know if that was the real you. <laughs> wow. That was a memorable moment for sure. You know, I, I remember doing a sketch when I was living in California a thousand years ago. I started out doing Gandhi, and all of a sudden it morphed into some sort of sick, twisted version of Mike Myers doing a drunk Scottish guy. By accident? Yeah, just totally by accident. Oh. It, uh, it was. I still have flashes uh, thinking back on that kind of kind of thing. You know, of all the characters you've impersonated, Victoria, which ones have you met? Oh, good question. I met Linda Blair, and I had done. Um, they didn't know how to like make fun of her because you know she doesn't talk funny or anything. But she had started being in like these kind of sexy B movies at you know after the exorcist was over for right. a long time right and so they gave me her to do and i was kind of really terrified and i was like i want to prove that i can do impressions so i watched this all they had was a tiny clip of her in a policewoman outfit um that she was going to take off or something and so they wrote the writers wrote her a little bit raunchy you know nothing no bad words or no nudity you know it's it's TV, right? Sure. I mean, it wasn't cable. But anyway, um, <laughs> but I, I, I was kind of portraying her as kind of mm, trampy, and um, and which is kind of mean. You know, if you think about it, these are human beings that you're making fun of, but most of the people that SNL makes fun of deserve to be. Like, they've done something preposterous, you know. Like when Jessica Hahn said, I'm not a bimbo, and took all of her clothes off. <laughs> that, that's begging to be made fun of. Exactly, and it really deserves to be, actually, yeah. and she agrees. She she kind of liked it. I did a, a, I sang I'm Not a Bimbo, I was kind of making fun of her, <laughs> and then I met her, and she loved, she had a good sense of humor about it, but Linda Blair, you know, so I ran into her at this comedy club, and I said, oh, I, I did an impression of you once, did you ever see it? And she said, no, but my friends did, and they didn't like it very much. Oh, man, Ooh. how'd that go over? Well, I felt kind of bad, but... um. You know, and then uh, I ran into Roseanne Barr after the first time I did her, and she was in a gift shop, and she kind of saw me and hid in the back, you know? <laughs> and I was so nervous, and I was like, Vicki, you got to approach her. I mean, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and uh, I I mean, I listened to her for hours and hours, so I felt like I knew her so well. And I went up to her, and I said, Roseanne, I did an impression of you on... She goes, I know, I know. You did it better than I do myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What was the wedding of uh, Roseanne and Tom Arnold like? Well, I got invited and I forgot to go. I hate I had, when that happens. I know. I had the wedding invitation on my refrigerator when I was by Coastal at the time. and it was, I was in New York and I was in L.A. like every couple weeks. And, and it was hard to keep things straight. And I woke up one day, I looked at the refrigerator, and it, it had just started two hours ago. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Don't, 
Unbelievable. It was my first celebrity wedding I ever got invited. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about that. You know, you must have been so pumped, Victoria, about being invited for the 25th anniversary SNL special. I was very excited because I was a suburban housewife in Miami, and I was never, I was kind of like totally out of the business. And, and I was like, Paul, Paul, they invited us to the anniversary. And then like a week later, they sent me a line. And they said, would you like to do this line? I was like, I get to do a line? <laughs> you know. And I, I called my brother and I go, Jimmy, do you think this line is like um, a criticism of me or do you think it's a compliment? And, he, and the line, you know, was uh, to, to Tom Hanks, um, could you tell me whatever happened to me? And, and, then, he, <laughs> and then he goes, because uh, he was taking questions from the audience, and, the, and then he goes, I hear you're, you married a cop and you're happy and you live in the suburbs of Miami or something. And then I go, oh, good, you know that part? Yeah. And so I asked my brother, and my brother goes, that's totally they're dissing you. They're totally criticizing you. And I go, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? Even if they are, it's a compliment because I got a line. Yeah, exactly. It's a backhanded compliment is what it was. Victoria, do, do you choose to play the the Ditsy Blonde as your main shtick? I mean, did that just sort of morph naturally, or has it always been a conscious choice? Because, I mean, the fear of getting typecast probably wasn't a reality early on in your career, but I guess, you know, when people think of you, that's kind of where they go to, Ditsy Blonde. I know. I'm not really sure if I am one or not. No, I'm not saying... I, I don't think you are. I mean, come on, we've already passed that one, but as far as choosing to play that role as your main shtick, right? Well, here's here's the deal. My daughter has dyed her hair black, and it's cut short, and she wants to cut my hair. And I'm like, Scarlett, I don't know how to act if my hair is short and black and sophisticated. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to act. I don't. But here's a story about that. Well, my I was at SNL, and Al Franken came up to me. Did you read the story on yeah. the computer? Yep. Yes, I did. Is that what you were leading me into? Um, sure. <laughs> okay. Well, he, I I went to see his last political speech with the intention of seeing him backstage afterwards and saying, "I never asked you permission to repeat the story about us, and I've been telling it at all these Christian things. Is it okay if I keep telling it?" But you know, I anyway. Here's the story. Um, I'm in the hallway at SNL, and Al Franken comes up to me and he says, uh, "Victoria, can I speak to you for a moment?" I'm like, "Yeah." He never did that, and. And he goes, I just wanted to tell you that I'm really offended that you act ditzy because I heard you talking at the meeting and you're really intelligent and, and it, it really offends me. And I was so, like, sh kind of hurt and shocked and I, I was like, well, I, I have congenital palatal insufficiency. <laughs> now, which, when I was a temporary uh, secretary to a throat specialist, he asked if he could examine my throat. And he told me I had that, and it means congenital from birth. Your palate is insufficient, and air comes out of your nose. Right. But, um, yeah, then they had a family meeting to decide whether to operate, and um, we all decided no, because if they made a mistake, they might cut my throat. Ooh. So, anyway, um, I said, well, Al, I, you know, I have that, maybe the voice, but maybe I act lighthearted or whatever because I'm overcompensating for what I'm really thinking about which is that everyone here is dying and going to hell and i'm supposed to tell them about jesus <laughs> how did that go over he turned white and he walked away 
and he and he never spoke to me again. He wrote me a little a little update for that had like his liberal agenda in it, but he never uh, spoke to me. And so I I've always been that's like my last time I saw him. So I went to Miami to hear him speak, and I knew it was probably going to be all liberals, and I was going to be the only conservative in the mm-hmm. audience. And it was really terrifying because they were screaming hate things about Bush. Bush is the stupidest man in the world. He never read a book. And the old lady behind me was saying the F word, F Bush. And I was like, I had like uh, goosebumps, like they're going to tar and feather me when they find out. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm a spy. <laughs> and I'm not one of them, you know, because uh, I respect my president. Thank you very much. I respect him a lot. I mean, he went on TV and said Jesus paid for his sins, and that takes a lot of nerve. Sure does, especially yeah. when you're in the politics thing. Yes. Oh, yeah, nobody would ever say that in politics. I, I, that's when I really admired him. But anyway, so um, I went up afterwards to talk to Al, but I never got to tell him about our little story that I keep repeating because all these people were asking for his autograph. and. We just said hi and how are your kids and that kind of thing. Well, what I can't get over right now, Victoria, is that um, 50 is is encroaching on your life. Just turning 50, I'm sorry to tell everybody this, I probably shouldn't go here, but just turning 50 kind of soon, does that freak you out at all? I'm 48, thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) 50. That's a long time from 48. Okay, Way all right, long, I yeah. know, but uh, you know, I, I would be thinking about it. I'd be, I don't know, there'd be something about my brain that'd be, kind of in warp drive thinking about. It. Oh, oh, oh Actually, is, that, is that the morky? Those are my dogs. Those are my children dogs. Okay. Actually, I think about it all the time, and um, time is flying by, and I can feel death approaching quickly. So <laughs> I've kind of, I, I've amped up my spiritual quest and actually i went to my church last week for the first time i volunteered to help the homeless because i said you know my whole life i've been learning that jesus said all the commandments can be reduced into two love god with all your heart soul mind and love people Mm -hmm. love god and love people and i'm like you know what i think i should spend a little less time trying to be an airhead on a sitcom because that's my goal (laughs) and a little more time loving people and so I went to the meeting about helping the homeless and um, went to an orphanage last year and that kind of thing. And I'm uh, since I'm approaching 50 and very soon death, um, <laughs> I I'm trying to I'm trying a little harder to be more like Jesus. But you give back uh, to the students that you sometimes substitute teach, right? I wouldn't call that giving back. <laughs> I teach I as well. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> substitute for my first time in my life, I've realized that mostly what teaching is is standing in the front of the room and saying, be quiet for eight hours. Uh, <laughs> that's all I do. I go, be, be quiet. Okay, be quiet. Johnny, be, be quiet. Okay, number four, be quiet. Okay, I said be quiet. You want to go to the office? I'm Be quiet. I do it for eight hours. Oh. I don't think I have the calling to teach that. What grade are you teaching? What age? Well, I was teaching eighth grade because my daughter was in it, and I wanted to see who her friends are. (laughs) (laughs) But she asked me not to because when I had to discipline people, which I'm not good at, um, which basically meant saying be quiet, she she thought it would make her not popular because, you know, if her mother was scolding them. Yeah. Victoria, can you please help me grasp the concept of Aunt Grace on a Japanese action teenage TV show that you did? 
Have you seen it? No. <laughs> I have like two lines. <laughs> okay. Was, there's not much to grasp. Okay. Because, I mean, I read a little bit there and I thought, like, first of all, I don't, I don't think there's any Aunt Graces in Japan. I think the story happens in America. Oh, okay. What? No, it just seemed a little, um, a little strange. Well, okay, what happened was, for 15 years, I was in Miami for my husband's happiness, and he loves his job as a helicopter police pilot. And I was miserable there. I no one speaks English. There's no auditions. There's no art. There's no culture. Nothing. People go there to lay in the sun, or to die, or to escape Castro. <laughs> So, uh. <laughs> so basically, I just cooked pies and raised my kids and had fun with them. And But then my daughter got married. My nest was half empty. My other one's 13. And my husband kept promising me for 15 years, in April of 07, I'll, move, I'll let you move back to L.A. Uh, because I can retire with a pension. So I waited. I went back to college to kill time. I did everything I could to not go insane. And April of seven, I said, okay, you promised. I put the house up for sale. Happened to be the worst real estate market in 25 years. Yeah. Oh, man. And our house hasn't sold for a year. And so I moved to L.A. My husband is commuting because he's still working because uh, he hasn't got a job in L.A. yet. And um, basically, we started, um, I tried to start my career again. Um this year, so I was just taking anything I could find to show Hollywood that I'm back. Well, good for you. Good for you. You know, with, with your daughter uh, getting married, oh, was she 21, I think, when she got married? Is that right? I think she was 20, and then she turned 21 real soon after. Okay, so, you know, sometimes when parents, uh, one of the parents goes through a divorce early on in life, they look at their daughter, and the daughter decides to get married around twenty twenty one. And there's some hesitancy. You know, are you sure you want to do this? Uh, did it make you at all hesitant that your twenty year old daughter got married last year? Oh yeah, we were like, honey, finish college first. No, I'm going to marry him. She's listening to me. We're like, honey, just please finish college first. No, if you don't give us, if you don't approve, we're going to elope. But honey, you you really you can wait two years. We can't wait two years. And some of my um, unsaved friends, they say, well, what, why did she get married so young? Was she pregnant? And I'm like, no, she got married so young because she doesn't believe in premarital sex. If you get my drift. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, say no more. So I think that's pretty awesome. I mean, yeah. and their marriage is going great. It, they're like um, almost a year and a half married. They're totally happy and in love. They're both working in this church, and she's in the children's ministry, and he's a the youth pastor and the uh, music lead, the worship leader. Nice. And so I, I think there is something to be said for for you know your first true love because look I'm with my my high school sweetheart. Yeah, actually my wife and I were just talking about uh, her first true love out at dinner last night. Wasn't me. <laughs> it's kind of an awkward conversation. <laughs> Victoria, the other thing that you're noted for, and we're just we'll let you go here in a minute, but I, that ukulele. I mean, you. It's not handy, is it? Is it kind of right near the phone at all? Oh, yeah, but I'm on a cell phone. I can't really put it on my shoulder and play it very well. <laughs> it's one of those instruments that uh, the people either they either love or they hate. And, uh, and I think you've... Who could hate a ukulele? Well, 
Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at Tim. Tim, yeah. do you hate the ukulele? No, I play the bagpipes, and you definitely have to like like them or not like them. That's for sure. Who's who? I'm gonna make you listen to it. Come here fast. I'm on the radio and I need a boy to bring me my uke. <laughs> <laughs> it's a ukulele, not not the. Uh... It's a uke. Is yes. that what we call it? Do you have a you name? Know, Do you have a name for your uke? No, but I'm telling you, it's a beautiful sound. And when, um, when I'm watching, when I hear the TV in the background and a ukulele comes on a commercial, it just makes me so happy inside. It's a happy sound. Yeah, there's that that Israel Kalkamoku. He's He's this wonderful Hawaiian singer, and he does a version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow, and it's oh. just him and a, and a ukulele. Wait a minute. Did, Tiny, did Tiny Tim play the ukulele? Yeah, Tiny Tim was a ukulele guy, oh, yeah. Oh, right. Oh, she's playing. Oh, yeah, here we go. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy. I mean, that's pretty. No, do, do it no, again. Do it, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. I'm trying to think of what song would be appropriate for this interview. Stairway to Heaven? <laughs> I don't know that one. No. Still haven't found what I'm looking for? Oh. That's a great wedding song, by the way. <laughs> my new favorite. What, what, what's a good wedding song? <laughs> I still haven't found what I'm looking for by you two. Uh, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Charlotte, what should I play? <laughs> um, how, well, about a, how about a children's song, a little lullaby or something, or a little fun little children's song? Um, hey, when do you come down here and harmonize this with me? <laughs> hurry up, hurry up, we're on the radio, or something, the internet, or something like that. Are we on the internet? We are, we are, uh, there's a hundred countries listening live, and we are also live on radio around the Toronto area. Is that exciting? No, she doesn't care. Are you? Uh, we're going to harmonize, you guys. Okay. We're on the internet in a hundred countries. D- don't mess up. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine. Very good, yeah, very nice. good. Oh my goodness, that's got to be a first for radio here in Canada, folks. Victoria <laughs> Jackson, that, good? Oh, that was, it was tremendous. Awesome. I think beautiful you, harmonies you, there. You might have won me over to the ukulele world. Yes. Hey, you guys. Um, I want to. If we're ending now, I want to tell you my new favorite verse. Okay, okay. that'd be great. Go for it. Nehemiah eight ten. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Thank you. Nice Isn't and that simple. A good one? Uh, yes. Can I share mine? Yes. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. That's not too happy sounding. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's it's the one you know when they have the Bible verse context. That was it's the, the easiest first one. one. That you was just the put easiest your hand one. Up. That that one's good because it's easy to remember. Amen. Yes, thank you very much. Listen, and it means Jesus had feelings. It did. It that's did. right. She, he was. Uh, was he, it Lazarus that had passed away when he heard yes, the news? That's yes, that's right. That was exact. Boy, you're very spiritual hey, today, aren't you? I'm not just eye candy, bro. So, Victoria Jackson, listen, thank you, thank you, thank you. If they ever make a Sound of Music Part 2, I really think you'd make a fantastic Maria. Yes. Thank you. That's my dream. I'll be a 50-year-old Julie Andrews. Perfect. Again, thank you very, very much for your time. And uh, Victoria Jackson is the website, victoriajackson.com. Can you just give us a little a little inkling as as to what's coming into, the, into your future here, Victoria? Is there something something going down we should know about? Well, I guess not. I'm I'm doing 
five stand-up comedy gigs coming up, but I'm also working on a one-woman show. Um, I'm going to be workshopping it in Seattle May 7th, 8th, and 9th, and um, then bringing it to L.A. Uh, it's kind of like I'm trying to, to do the antithesis of Julia Sweeney's one-woman show called Letting Go of God, and it's about her journey into atheism. Right. Mm. And my one-woman show is going to be the opposite of that. And um, that's what's filling my time now. And also, um, yes, that's it. <laughs> Victoria, you, you have been an absolute gem to speak with today. And uh, should you ever find your way up to Toronto, please give me a shout. I will. I Thank you very much. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Victoria Jackson, former cast member from Saturday Night Live on the Drew Marshall Show. A short break. We're going to come back with some uh, some kind of useless trivia. A chance yes. to win absolutely nothing here Excellent. on the show. And then Louise Duarte will join us at the top of the hour. Later in the show, John Tesh. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. Like what you've heard? Listen again online at drewmarshall.ca.